This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. And I'm joined this week by our education reporter, Jacob McWinney. What's up, Jacobo? Nothing much, Scott. <laughs> and also here with us today, our intern, Catherine Allen. Hello, Catherine. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining. I had to pull together a team because both Andrea and Andy are out this week. One of the reasons we had three host was so that there would always be one but that fell apart this week that's fine they'll be back soon and you guys are awesome thank you for doing this coming up on the show this week jacob has been talking to school board candidates and so we'll see how that's going and using it as an opportunity to shamelessly plug our event politifest yes october 8th university of san diego come for some scorching hot public affairs content Catherine was just telling me how excited she was to try to get there Yes, right? I am moving back to college in San Luis Obispo, and I'm like trying to plan how to come back just for Politifest. So if I can yes. do it, everyone can. Yes. Uh, Jacob also, along with Lisa Halverstadt, they have some news they broke today, that's Thursday, about one of the saddest buildings in San Diego right now, the old California theater. And finally, Catherine's here to talk about a major Senate bill that was passed in 2017, that's the California Senate. Supporters promised that a new fee on real estate transactions would provide relief to people struggling with housing costs and then the homeless situation that was bad even then. 
But our Catherine Allen went looking for how it's been spent since then, how much money's been collected, and what impact it has had. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Catherine, you play tennis, right? Yes. <laughs> I have since elementary school. Okay. Um, but you've never played pickleball. Never. I know absolutely nothing about it but except you, they but, are warriors. And you and you and you hate them, right? Because you only can pick one side at this moment. Is it tennis side or pickleball side? What side are you on? As a journalist, I think I have to remain independent of this oh, fight. Very Look well at that. said. She's 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 a pro. She's already <laughs> headed towards success. That was a All trick right. question. Yeah, good thanks. Yeah, good job. Now, Jacob, you saw what was happening with the pickleball versus tennis wars. Who couldn't? It's it's uh it's the top issue in today, in today's San Diego. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's a travesty that anything else has been covered. <laughs> it's it really is. It is it has heated now some background. Tennis and pickleball both use rackets. They both use tents, or uh, I'm sorry, nets. And, but after that, it's all different. It's a different size court. Uh, they have the little paddles <laughs> for pickleball. They have the big ones for tennis. Seems like there's more, there's more movement, more athleticism going on with tennis. And pickleball is maybe a little easier to do for all kinds of people. You maybe. better watch out. Some pickleballers may take that as, as some fighting words. Yeah. <laughs> well, we know what they can do. Uh, so so the pickleball guys, in particular, these two guys in San Diego that have been on kind of a war path lately uh, to get more pickleball courts in San Diego, that there's no dedicated spots, they say. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of space being underutilized by tennis uh, so we're going to go after that. And I guess what their idea is that because they both use paddles, and they both have ten, uh, nets. Why do I keep saying tent? They both have <laughs> nets. Then we should be able to, you know, refurbish the underutilized tennis spots for pickleball. Now, the tennis folks are like, who are you calling underutilized? <laughs> How dare you? And so this is played out in in a number of ways. Now, before we get into it, you, Jacob, were really excited when the pickleball guys started to use some revolutionary tactics. Yes. Yeah, no, I I think that it's I think that we need some more armed revolution, armed with rackets that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um and so it, it's it's been quite beautiful to watch somebody feel people feel as passionate as they do about the thing that makes them happy. So he's talking about an incident at Rob Field a couple of weeks ago where <laughs> uh, the pickleball guys uh-huh. staged a, uh, a sit-in, we'll talk about it in a second, at Rob Field and, mm-hmm. and basically tried to take over the course that they said that the tennis guys weren't using. Police got called. It was a whole act of civil disobedience. Now, before we get into that, you have a pickleball tennis trivia. I do. I have some, I have some trivia questions for you and Catherine. Okay. Let's just let's just jump right in here. Right. First question. What is the phrase for a pickleballer who gently hits the ball over the net? Is it A, a dinker, B, a boinger, or C, a patter? Catherine, I'm going to go with A because it's just fun to say. <laughs> All right, Catherine would be correct. It is a dinker. Now, do you have to do you have to identify at the beginning like which you're going to be like a dinker? I don't know. I, or are you just labeled by the community? Do you think it's like, a, hi, my name's Jacob. I'm a dinker. <laughs> I, I, I would hope so. Yeah. yeah okay. Honestly. That would Good be... job. One for Catherine. <laughs> okay. Now, 
What is the phrase for a pickleballer who hits the ball hard? Is it A, a slammer, B, a banger, or C, a blaster? Well, I know this one, so it's Scott. <laughs> okay, what, 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 let's hear it's it, Scott. It's a banger, man. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, the bangers and the, and the dinkers. Uh-huh. I love this. Uh-huh. Okay, so, or where does the game get its name? Is it A, the texture on the handle of a pickleball racket? Is it B, pickleboat races? Or is it C, the family dog of the sports founder, Pickles? Mm. Scott. Let's hear it. The racket handle. Unfortunately, you would be wrong. The name, or the game, excuse me, gets its name from pickleboat races, which I had no idea what those were. Um, but apparently... In regattas, which are boat races, um, specifically during college, um, top tier programs have their people that race and they kind of throw all of the the kind of lowly guys who aren't very good at racing into boats and they race for fun. And those are pickle boat races. Wow. Yeah. But there was, for many years, people thought it was the dog because the founder, actually, their family dog's name was Pickles. That's... But Pickleball Magazine did some research and found out that the dog wasn't born until 1968 when Pickleball was founded in 1965. So thank you to Pickleball Magazine for that for that, that heavy Wait, lift. so it was founded in 65, but now, only now, it's like taking over the world. It's apparently, according to Pickleball Magazine and USA Pickleball <laughs> Uh, an organization that, that yeah, as you no, would imagine, you know, advocates for pickleball, uh, mm-hmm. uh, global revolution. Um, they, uh, in 1990, pickleball started being played in all 50 states. So it's been a long time coming. Um, okay, so last question. In 1984, the composite pickleball paddle was made by who? A, a Washington state congressperson. B, a Boeing industrial engineer, or C, a tennis racket designer? I'm going to say, Scott, I'm going to say, that's me. (laughs) I'm going to say the Boeing engineer. You would be correct. Because everybody always talks about pickleball as like being very plastic and having mm -hmm. like an engineered sound. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think like that just made sense. So you think they they made the the racket specifically to, to make the sound better? No, I think they made it to like handle a specific like mm. bounce or trajectory well. And like, and I don't know. Got it. It just seems like it, it handles a smaller court better. Got it. Well, I will say as a side note, you could be forgiven for saying a Washington State congressperson because he is one of the, his name is Joel Pritchard, and he was one of the founders of Pickleball okay. in 1965. Uh, I found this this timeline of important pickleball events on USA Pickleball's website. God, I feel like this is not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> this is not sponsored, and they listed you know all the important ev- important events in pickleball history, and in they listed the event in 1997 of Joel Pritchard's passing away at age 72. This was what they said: Joel Pritchard Pritchard passed away at age 72. Though he was Washington State's lieutenant governor from 1988 to 1996, he is probably better known for his connection to the birth of pickleball. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like too good of a story for a tennis player to create the racket because it would have just led to their own demise. Yeah. yeah. No, he would have been like <laughs> strung up in the in the town, the tennis court town square. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> 
Part of what we're so excited about is that this has now jumped from the UT did a couple of stories about the local fight. Now the KPBS this week did it. Uh, we found out that basically there's been these two guys who've been going around San Diego and saying like, you need to expand opportunities. Now they had an idea. I have a, I had a kind of a front row seat to, because I'm involved in the uh, Peninsula Youth Softball, right? And okay. that's at Rob Field where they're having this dispute with the tennis club there. Mm-hmm. They had this idea to turn the tennis courts into like a for-profit pickleball like complex. <laughs> now, since then, they've decided it should be nonprofit, it should be different. But this battle between them and the tennis club there is like, it's like super intense. Like every time there's a meeting of the Rob Field Advisory <laughs> Committee, these guys are like, in the comments, just savaging each other, <laughs> and and so they, I mean, they hired, they got like drones to to check how often the tennis courts were being used and all that. It was it was very intense, and so it, this all came to a head when they did this uh, this thing at Rob Field. So this sit in. This is uh, hold on. It was a little different. Uh, this is <laughs> this is uh, Claire Tregesser at uh, KBBS did a piece about what was happening there. And how fed up they finally got with the Rob Field situation led to this. Boylan rose up, staging what amounted to an Occupy Tennis protest. Or maybe a pickle-in? A pickle-in. It's called a pickle-in. <laughs> okay, okay? okay, okay. Now, now, a lot of us, when we saw this fight come down, we were like, Maybe you shouldn't fight and you should just make a deal because you both got paddles. <laughs> you, both, you both use nets. And whoa, don't do that because both sides are intolerant of your ignorance about the sport that they love when you say that. In fact, the, Claire asked uh, the guy at the uh, Peninsula Tennis Club, you know, why couldn't they just work out a, you know, an arrangement? And here, here was his response. <laughs> While outsiders might wonder why they can't share tennis courts with pickleball, that just won't work, says Todd Sprigg. If you play pickleball, it has a very different sound, okay? You see, the sound is different. And how are you supposed to play tennis <laughs> when there's this little pickleball sound going on? It drives you nuts. Wow, this is a civil war. This so uh, everybody is on the edge of their seats uh, wondering if Rob Field you know, sticks with tennis or somehow accommodates the pickleball. Stay tuned. Thank you, Claire Tregesser. Now, you could tell in the story that Claire did for KBBS that she was like holding back a laugh the whole time, which I think all of them are probably mad at us being so like amused by their little fight. But I think it really is kind of serious. The pickleball is going nuts. They do want to place. The tennis folks are digging in. Stay tuned to see how this gets resolved. Well, Jacob, you've uh, not just looked up pickleball trivia <laughs> for the last couple of weeks. You've also been interviewing two candidates for school board, um, Cody Pedersen and Becca Williams, who are running for the seat along um, the sort of north coast of San Diego, mm-hmm. the city of San Diego, yes. or the city um, San Diego Unified. doesn't mm-hmm. cover all of the city of San Diego. I don't know if you do that. It's just, uh, you know, most of the city. Yeah, I think it covers most of the city. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is the first race where those races will be determined in their sub-district mm-hmm. and not yes. in a sort of district-wide uh-huh. election. So it's supposed to make it easier for the candidates without as much funding because running a campaign across the whole city is very expensive. Yes. So we have Cody Pedersen. He's the Democrat running. He's mm-hmm. uh, 
been involved in democratic politics for a long time, kind of known for long emails and such explaining his philosophies about local politics. very passionate guy. Uh, and then Becca Williams, more conservative. Mm-hmm. Does she identify as a Republican? She doesn't like to get into labels, but but her <laughs> positions are are those of a conservative. Yes. Okay, yeah. So she's uh, run charter schools before. Mm-hmm. Uh, she supports charter schools. She's also, but also a major advocate for in person education mm-hmm. and and you know backlash she supported towards what was happening during the pandemic. But yeah. it was kind of gave fire to her campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. Uh, talking to both of them, kind of reading up more on their on their history, uh, it, it would be kind of hard to to come up with two candidates who who are kind of more diametrically opposed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, as as you mentioned, um, Cody is is a very very passionate um, kind of long winded guy. Um, really, really loves to get into the weeds of things, um, and. Uh, uh, Becca is a little more big picture, more soft spoken, I think. Um, but beyond those sort of surface level differences, um, their politics are just very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cody comes from an environmental uh, uh, activist sort of background, um, and he is also a very unapologetic um, progressive. Uh, and and Becca comes from a more conservative background. She moved here from Texas a couple of years ago, where she uh, w- founded a, a, a group of charter schools with her husband. Um, and so it's it's been interesting to kind of compare and contrast what 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 they are proposing. Um, you know, for for Cody, uh, some of his really big issues are are he is a is a very strong supporter of ethnic studies in schools. He's he's very much um, interested in working toward expanding community schools, which which he believes can start to help bridge some of the inequities that that are seen from school to school. Um, but Becca is is very much focused on, um, she, you know, she sells herself as a sort of an outsider candidate who who can stand up against the board in a way that maybe somebody who's who's been more involved in these politics uh, wouldn't feel comfortable doing. I like, there was something you pointed out that her her charter schools in Texas were focused on that sort of classical education, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. just the basics, and and so all this equity stuff. She she says it like that. All this equity stuff we don't want. Mm-hmm. We don't want to focus on all that. We want to focus just on the basics. Move on. Yeah, and support. And I think she's trying to capture the support of like parents who are worried that they're going to lose like the high achieving type of programs and stuff in the name of, of equity concern. Yeah. Ultimately I think that, that she, whether it's, um, you know, the, you know, Patrick Henry, for example, took away a couple honors courses that they then reinstated, um, between that, the move to standards-based grading, the move, um, away from some of the sort of standardized testing. Um, all of that really concerns her because she sees it as, as, a way that 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 maybe um, you know the district is trying to enforce this this mediocrity across its its student population. She she wrote a recent Fox News opinion piece um, stating just that uh, that that there's a radical agenda for mediocrity in the district, basically. 
Well, she and Cody will be at the PolitiFest October 8th. So you can go to our website, voicesandiego.org, and check that out, slash PolitiFest. You can also just go to politifest.org or stay tuned for um, all the different lineups. We've got some great debates. We'll have school board. We'll have the mayor and county supervisor Nathan Fletcher will be there to talk about homelessness. We'll have um, the assessor debate. I know you guys are on the edge of your seat about that one. <laughs> we have a, a debate about the height limit. Cool. Um, so that and uh, a lot of other great debates. We also have a satellite uh, event in in South Bay. We got Chula Vista. We're going to partner with Three Punk Ales and the Emo Brown um, podcast. We're going to have a national city mayor's debate and the Chula Vista mayor's debate down there as well. It's going to be fun. That's the Thursday before. So stay tuned for more on all that. I'm very excited. Catherine, we'll book you a bus ticket. We'll get you, we'll get you here <laughs> so you can't miss any of it. I know you're just dying to see that assessor's debate. Yeah, and stay tuned. My, my profiles on Becca and Cody uh, where I dive deep into some of their politics and and them as people will come out next week. Yeah, they're very good. We've been a little bit short-staffed for San Diego, um, hiring a new multimedia producer, somebody who can go take photos, do a lot of cool stuff. But Jacob here is good at taking photos, and we asked him to go take a photo of the California Theater the other day because... The UT did a really good story a few weeks ago about the California Theater. This is a historic old theater it, right next to City Hall, and it's been planned for redevelopment for a long time. Now, the historical pre- preservationists are like, oh, you got to preserve part of it, and that's held up some of the development for a while. But at this point, as the UT described, it had turned into just a dilapidated, scary, not great building that has been obviously overtaken by squatters and well i don't even know if you could call them squat who knows what's going on inside, yeah right i would say who knows is the right the yeah right way to phrase it. and it's just uh it's unsafe obviously the people around it that you talk to the owner of the local across the street mm-hmm. yeah and uh they're worried about the situation they've been trying to keep their business together while this building has been falling apart mm-hmm. all under the promise that someday it would be redeveloped still hasn't we asked you to go down and take a picture because two things. One, the city has just demanded that the owner of the building tear it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a story Lisa Halberstadt and you broke. And the Housing Commission's chair, Mitch Mitchell, uh, asked the state for $25 million to be able to purchase that property and add it to the city's own growing collection of properties around that area so that they can redevelop the whole area mm-hmm. and put more housing down there. So tell us about what you saw when you 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 went to go check it out. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty wild scene, I got to say. Um lots of folks living on the street over there on C Street um and uh even just speaking with them, they all shared the opinion that it was it was a hazard and it was unstable. Um, you know, a couple folks told me that, um, people go in and out of there all the time, just standing there talking to folks. I could look in and there was a wide open door, um, on the ground floor right next to a, a place in the fence that was wide open as well. Um, a woman told me that, uh, you know, people go in and out, out of there all the time. It's unstable. People have hurt themselves. She said that folks walk in and break the windows and, and break pieces of rocks off and throw them, throw them down at people while they're sleeping. Um, at night, she said the rats come out, um, something that, that the uh, general manager of the local also also mentioned. 
Um, and you know, the general manager of the local, she basically said that, that nothing can be done with it. It's a hazard. Um, she, she said that, that she believes that the cops are even scared to go in there, um, potentially because of the instability of the structure itself, but also potentially because, you know, who knows, who knows what's in there. Um, she thinks that it just needs to be blown up and she's not going to believe, um, you know, it, anything about it until she actually sees it fall because she's been frustrated for you know 20 years now um by what she sees as as inaction um regarding that building you know i even heard uh somebody told me that that there are people who 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 will give tours <laughs> to you through the building if you are so inclined um and while i was speaking to the general manager she pointed out just to that, be clear these are not authorized these are not these are not authorized tours yeah um and you know it, and there's a part of you that wanted to take them i up on really it. wanted to and you know i walked through that little opening in the fence and, and looked into the doorway there and it's i mean it's wide open you literally could just walk right in if if they really do if the city does believe that this is a hazard and and um you know, they they and the property owners really aren't doing much to keep people from going in. Um, when I was speaking to the general manager of the local, she pointed out that there were two people on the roof, uh, the little this little terrace area, walking up um, a landing into the building. Um, I mean, there's even a rope that's attached to the fire escape that you can sort of like climb up to get to this little area that that has another open door. Um, so it's there are very multiple, very very clear entrances both at the ground level and, and just above on, on this little terrace area. Um, and it's, it, it, even the people who were, who were staying there on C street had concerns about, about this building. Mm. So in 2017, the group save our heritage organization, the, the historical preservationists, they sued to halt a 40 story housing project plan for there. And they won. Then they got a settlement with the developer. Then a new developer purchased the property in 2019. That was Caden, uh, the developer and they they promised to preserve part of the mural on the side, and you know that's the one with that uh, caliente uh, mural is pretty okay. famous uh -huh. uh, right there. Um, and now the, the historical preservation group, even then, they're like, well, this is Bruce Coons. He said it's terrible. We all want to see something happen there, <laughs> except for the mural. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I get a little frustrated with the preservationists sometimes. Well, it can be frustrating, and and that frustration was shared by by the general manager of the local. I, I'm sorry. This look, human history is all just a blip on the history of this planet, right? It's just like this much time. I'm sorry. This is a small thing I'm doing with my hands. <laughs> it's this much time on like the the like peach fuzz of the world, right? Like the history of the world, and then the history of the world is itself tiny compared to the the universe, right? And so human history is just this little part. And then San Diego history on top of the human history is just this tiny little speck as well. <laughs> and we're like, well, this thing that was built in what? 1920. 1920 is, can't let anything happen to that. <laughs> I mean, the preservationists aren't doing a great job at preserving it, clearly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you but. hear it here, folks. Uh, uh, Scott Lewis has no value for human history. He wants to. <laughs> he wants to redevelop the Colosseum. This isn't. This isn't Rome. This is, <laughs> this, this is not the uh, the Parthenon. I'm sorry. So anyway, I get a little. <laughs> that all said, yes. So they do want to tear it down. We'll see if there's any action there. But then the second part. So the Housing Commission CEO sent this letter to the state saying we need 25 million dollars so that we can purchase this building. 
and we want everybody to cobble all that together and can be part of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is this grand redevelopment mm-hmm. of the civic core of downtown. They bought the 101 Ash Street. They bought the Civic Center Plaza. They want to build a new fire station, new city hall, new civic theater, bunch of housing. They want to add this one to it. Now, we asked the mayor's office if that was part of his plan for that whole redevelopment. And they're like, no, we hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Which, I'm sorry, the chairman <laughs> of the Housing Commission is not sending that letter if the mayor doesn't know about it. But okay, I believe you. <laughs> haven't thought of it, sure. Uh, so that's where we're at with this whole thing. I... I'm I, I'm vacillating between like my classic cynicism about this city pulling something out and also how fast they're working to cobble all these properties together and see if maybe they really are trying to get something going. Well, I think you have this unsafe building that you want to save for a mural or you can create a whole affordable housing development there and part of the city's goal and it could help with that. So <laughs> you seem biased towards people having places to live. Oh, my bad. You need You're to, right. You need to remember your neutrality. Okay? No, she just wants to build a tennis court there. Yeah. Uh, you can check out that story, voicesandiego.org, uh, Lisa Halberstadt, and then photos from uh, Jacob here. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. In 2017, State Senate President Tony Atkins championed um, a bill, SB2, and it was a part of a package of bills. One was a bond. Uh, A couple other things were going on at the time. There was obviously a lot of concern about the cost of housing. There was a a lot of enthusiasm, especially on Senator Atkins' part about the bill and what it might achieve. She said, after today's vote, I am increasingly hopeful that relief is coming soon for many hardworking people. Uh, her colleagues at that time, including former Assemblyman 
Todd Gloria said, I am proud to join the governor and my fellow legislators to pass a historic package of bills that makes specific and tangible progress to give some relief to those struggling to pay their rents and mortgages. Okay, so I remembered those. Catherine went out and looked for what happened to all the money that they collected. Now, tell us what is the fee and how much did they collect and what do they do with it? Yeah, so the fee is $75 for real estate transactions and it's capped at $225 for total. And um, that could be on mortgage refinances and other documents like that. And overall, the state has collected more than $1.6 billion in the past five years from those fees. Mm -hmm. And how much has the state spent since then? So the state has spent um, about $139 million in local assistance programs. Um, and then some other funds were directed towards other initiatives that they created as well, like a mixed income multifamily loan program uh, for uh, housing projects. Uh, Farmworker housing was another one. And really just other funds that went towards what they called incentives for streamlining the housing production process. All right. So... and less than a quarter of it has been spent since then. It's been five years. Yes. Um, There was some actual projects and stuff you you identified. There was one uh, in Valencia, correct, in the neighborhood? Yes, Valencia Apartments. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, did they have anything else to say about how long it had taken and any of the impacts there? So, yeah, there are four of housing projects in the county um, and funds have been committed about $20.4 million um, in loans have been committed to these four projects. And it, when I was talking with the state, there's not a way right now to tell how much of that is specifically SB2 funds because they all go into this pot of money that is spent and committed to these housing projects. So that right there, it makes it harder to track the progress of this bill. Um, but So right now, out of those four projects, only one has been recently opened, and that money doesn't really get used until after construction is completed. So um, there is still a lot of those projects that SB2 has made happen that aren't yet completed. Got it. So I think part of what's happening here is when you build sort of the big A affordable housing, what we're talking about is subsidies that that the government is providing to make sure that these projects can be built. And in exchange, the builders have to maintain them as lower income eligible, meaning like you can't rent them unless you can prove your income qualifications, and then that's protected for for a few decades. So that is how it goes. And they use all kinds of different ways to fund that. There's local sources, there's state sources like this, uh, there's federal sometimes subsidies that come in or tax credits or other things that can make those projects possible. And so a lot of the arguments, and I knew you'd run into this, was like, well, even if we haven't spent the money, having the money, having it there and sort of pledged makes these projects possible, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, there was also some numbers for local, right? So you talked about some of the projects locally. How much had they collected from San Diego County transactions? So from the county, more than $154 million had been con- collected in real estate fees and only about 5.3% of those funds were dispersed to local assistance programs. So about $154 million on real estate transactions has been collected locally in San Diego County. 
and just a bit of it has been dispersed. Now, you posted the story. There was uh, immediate response from Tony Atkins' former spokesperson, Dave Rowland. He's now a spokesperson at Todd Gloria's office, and he said, um, you know, not mentioned in Voice of San Diego's glass-empty story. It's a tough one there. Yeah, glass-half-empty. Glass-empty story on SB2 is the City of San Diego's Bridge to Home program, which is going to use some of that revenue from SB2 to build affordable housing. In round one, that's 662 affordable units. 193 will be set aside as permanent supportive housing. So I think just key to keep in mind there is the big clapback is that 662 units will be built sometime soon. And uh, and a few of those, or 193 of those will be set aside for permanent supportive housing for homelessness. So those are things. But again, that's it's been five years. We don't know exactly when those will come on. And that's after about $154 million has been collected. So is it fair to say that maybe some of the immediate relief a lot of these guys were talking about hasn't materialized? Yeah. And the main point with SB2 was to provide an ongoing funding source, like something more long-term for cities and counties to plan for, because really a lot of the funding is just single-use grant funds from the state or federal level. Um, So it's definitely unique in that sense. But at the same time, it hasn't done a great job at getting the money out to actually help local departments plan um, in a bold way to actually fight the housing crisis that has only been getting worse since 2017. Yeah. Well, um, it was a great piece. I thought you did a really good job tracking down where all the money came from. Now, you did ask for an interview from State Senate President Tony Atkins, and that was not successful, I gather? No. And it was, um, you know, it took weeks to uh, trying to get an interview. Um, I I actually saw her at a press conference um, the week before the legislative session was going back in. And I introduced myself and asked, you know, hey, I've been trying to get an interview to talk about this. And, um, you know, after that, her team followed up with me trying to get an interview for that week. And eventually they said she just wasn't available and sent me some statements in response instead. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of um, the departments that I had been going back and forth with trying to get clarification, trying to track down this money, which took weeks in of itself, um, they, I know, were working overtime to get me that information. They had teams trying to track that down for me from the state housing and community development department, housing finance agency, um, and at the county level, too. Uh, so it was definitely you know, it took weeks to actually track down this information and um, being able to actually follow the progress of SB2. Yeah. I think sometimes there's a tendency to, especially on the like more progressive side, to sort of think of the policy or the even the new tax as itself an accomplishment as opposed to like the impact of it or the spending of it. I think, I mean, you look at these quotes that, so we have a few pulled together from here was Ben Weso at the time. He was a state senator as well. <clears throat> he still is. He said, um, you know, I know sometimes people think like nobody likes taxes. They, uh, they're worried that it's not going to make a big difference. But when you see, quote, the results with the dollars that you pay into services, when you can pay into something that changes our states, state, that improves the quality of people's lives, that contributes to the economy, I'm telling you, people are adults in this state. They will welcome these investments in our community and they will be thankful for our efforts to provide more affordable housing. I mean, the 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 rhetoric around this bill was that it was gonna do some 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 things quick. But 
the impact's been a little bit more sparse. Yeah, and there's um, also more funding that uh, municipalities and counties can apply for still. I know they are expecting to see less fees and less revenue from that um, due to the high interest rates right now, but um, there is still more available to local agencies to apply for and hopefully get sent out to them to actually use and create more permanent housing solutions. Or, or to purchase an old theater with a mural that could be used for housing. If the city agrees with you. <laughs> yeah, if the city agrees. Uh, all right, you can check out Catherine's great story at voicesandiego.org. Catherine Allen, our intern, you've got a few more weeks here, right? Yes. Has it been awful? <laughs> it's been... Sorry, let me start over. <laughs> that was just a really interesting question. Um, it's been the best internship I could have hoped for because you really get everything out of it. And I realized that, first of all, I haven't done this much math in journalism. So that was one thing. Um, and I feel like I've grown... Um, in my confidence professionally and personally. So it's been a great experience here. And I know you guys are hiring for your fall interns too. So I'll plug that for people to apply because it's definitely been an amazing experience. Awesome. Well, we've enjoyed having you. Uh, hopefully we'll squeeze a few more bits of content out of you before you leave, right? right? Definitely. More right. to come. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Voice San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this quadrant of downtown San Diego. Get the newsletter for this show and all the great columns at voicesandiego.org slash newsletters. That's vosd.org slash newsletters. You can go directly there. You can get the politics report, the learning curve, the North County report, and more. vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Jacob McQuinney is our education reporter. Catherine Allen's our intern. And Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Is that all right?